Welcome to AIR Informs, a podcast series about the different ways the coronavirus pandemic is affecting our lives and how we are handling the challenges it presents. Brought to you by the American Institutes for Research. I'm Dana Tofik. Across the country, the vast majority of school buildings are closed as part of a nationwide effort to reduce the spread of the coronavirus. But the learning continues and educators are suddenly finding themselves planning and teaching remotely to students who are now learning from home. To facilitate collaboration, many teachers and leaders are using communities of practice. Through formal and informal networks, these communities allow educators to share knowledge and support one another as they try to ensure a continuity of learning in the middle of a public health crisis. Our guests today have worked with many states, school districts, and other organizations to successfully implement communities of practice. Melissa Raspberry leads CS for All Teachers, a program that includes a large virtual community of practice for computer science educators and leaders. Marshall Conley is an expert in the design, implementation, and facilitation of communities of practice and has worked with education systems across the nation. Melissa, who you'll hear from first, joined us from her home in North Carolina, and Marshall spoke with us from his home in Illinois. For those who may not be familiar, what is a community of practice, and how does it work? You know, Etienne Wenger is sort of considered the grandfather of communities of practice. Um, He and his wife, Beverly Trainer, did extensive research on them, and through their analysis, they define communities of practice as groups of people who share a common concern or a passion for something they do, and they learn how to do it better as they interact regularly. Um, I happen to be the principal investigator for a community of practice here at AIR, the CS for All Teachers community. Um, And in that space, it happens to all be virtual, but in that space, teachers of computer science come together from all across the country and talk about um, ways in which they're integrating computational thinking into their elementary classrooms or teaching high school courses, Um, And it's really just a chance for them to share resources, to learn from one another, and improve their practice. Okay, so how does a community of practice work normally in a school or school district setting? And how is that changing with school buildings being closed and so many students learning at home? Well, when we talk about communities of practice, particularly uh, in the work we've been doing at AIR with education systems, we've often in the past been asked to create one or several on specific topics as a way to do technical assistance and professional development. So like in a large TA network like the State Support Network, we've created over 25 over the last three years on school improvement topics. And for those and and other similar projects, we go to the the state education leaders and figure out what they need uh, support on, things like data systems, accountability, and use of evidence. But in the current situation, what's been really interesting to see is how prominently a lot of educators are finding and creating their own communities in order to navigate the needs of virtual and remote teaching. So they're also coming together to socialize and to reinforce the bonds that they were able to build every day in their buildings um, prior to this. And this actually aligns really well with what we know about what makes a community successful and valuable for its members. The community comes together around a common need and the driving force for it emerges organically from the people who create it. So it sounds like a lot of communities of practice start face to face, but that it's not unusual to see them exist in a virtual environment. A community of practice can be anywhere. It can be, it can happen uh, face-to-face, it can happen through like an email listserv even, and it can happen in a virtual environment. And what we see often is that 
communities that blend the two tend to, to be really successful. People that build bonds either online or face-to-face, -face, when they come into that other environment, those bonds are even uh, stronger. And, and we've really seen a change over the last 10, 12 years uh, from a situation where a virtual community of practice was often looked at as a, a website with certain features like discussion boards and wikis and blogs to what we're seeing now, educators building their communities wherever and whenever they're learning and interacting. A lot of this has to do with the proliferation of a few things. Virtual collaboration platforms with video, while still not perfect, continue to improve. Everything now socialized, you see social learning components as standard now in things like learning management systems even. So, um, and cross-platform integration with social media is, is everywhere. What are some of the formal and maybe informal ways educators can engage in a community of practice while so much of teaching and learning is happening from home right now? So how people come together um, in communities of practice, as you said, it can, it can look like very different depending upon um, who's initiating them. Sometimes there's a case when schools instruct grade level teams to create them um, as part of their regular planning time together. Um, in other cases, they may be more organic, just when individuals are seeking out others to extend their learning. Right now, there are many opportunities um, for teachers to come together, um, especially given all the, uh, the pressures that they are feeling. Um, they may continue to do that sort of group time like they've been doing with their grade level teams. Many are seeking their um, content area organizations, for example, the National Science Teachers Association or the National Council Council for Teachers of Mathematics are doing a lot to bring folks together um, virtually to provide that support. Um, so it really is about um, teachers finding as many ways as possible to connect with others um, to extend their learning and, and to gain that support. It seems like social media, especially Twitter, seems to be a place where these types of communities have really taken root and grown. I mean, you can see Twitter chats happening on education almost any day of the week. Absolutely. Uh, Twitter is actually a huge tool for communities of practice um, in the educator community um, and for, for teachers in general receiving some professional development and extending their learning. Simply by following specific hashtags, you're able to connect with others who share similar areas of interest. Um, there's a gentleman that goes by the handle Cybrary Man, um, and he has compiled a list of all the educator chats out there. He has it set up neatly on a Google form um, where it allows you to see um, the, the day, the time, et cetera, and there are tons to choose from. If you're a fifth grade teacher and wanting to think about ideas for English and language arts, I guarantee you there's a chat for you. If you're interested in equity for middle schoolers, there's a chat for you too. Truly people have used the hashtags and being able to follow those hashtags for their particular areas or um, uh, passion um, topics um, to allow them to connect with one another and to continue those conversations. Whether they're happening um, simultaneously or synchronously through a specific chat time, say Monday nights at seven o'clock um, in the evening, or if it's just simply using that hashtag at whatever point you're tweeting about a particular area of interest and being able to follow that and see what others have been posting with that same hashtag. As we look past this health crisis, is it possible that communities of practice will continue to grow as people see the difference they can make? One thing we may see continue is this sort of this social emotional learning for teachers as an important thing, right? Recognizing the, 
the social and peer bonds that occur when they're in, in, in the building and, and may get lost in certain things like what we might call, in a physical sense, working conditions, right? Well, that doesn't really capture it like social-emotional um, does. And so that's one thing I think we'll, we'll probably see as a point of emphasis going forward is this, this drive for educators to continue to find each other online, not just to get resources and tools and the next lesson plan, but to, to really connect with peers. You know, it, it is it is sort of out of this necessity that folks have been able to find one another. And I don't think that that necessarily is something that is unique to this COVID-19 crisis. Being able to find a community, be it something that is close by within your, you know, with others that are in your building, um, or if it's something that's, you know, with others across the nation, but being able to find that space and place where that you can continue your learning, I think is valuable. And so I think and I hope that um, this crisis will kind of teach all of us um, from professionals to, um, to, to kids that, you know, your learning doesn't have to stop with the face to face interactions that you have that technology allows us to be able to expand our communities in ways that we never would have been able to do before. Melissa and Marshall provided some helpful links that we are including in the show notes, including how to connect to Cybrary Man, who keeps track of the many education-focused Twitter chats. You can find the show notes on our website, www.air.org. There you can also find out more about communities of practice and the work that AIR is doing in this important area. Thanks for listening to this episode of AIR Informs. Until next time, I'm Dana Tofig. Be safe and take care.